for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm once again joined by the Hall of Famer, Brandon Riddle, and we are excited to bring you another episode packed with weird and fun <laughs> baseball stories, etc. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, tell tell me about where you've been or where you uh, visited a couple weeks ago or Ooh. last week. <laughs> well, well, first of all, you really hyped up the episode there with the with the etc. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was it was last week. Um, yeah, it was uh, just. Today's Friday, so yeah, just over a week ago that I happened to be at Cooperstown and got to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I'm very excited to talk about that. The town's adorable, you know, the museum's historic, the food was good. So that's going to be a good conversation in a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You can't go wrong with Cooperstown. Um, and then the other things we're going to go over and talk about today, uh, you know, and I use et cetera because I feel like it's it's just all encompassing because we're going to talk about the Cleveland Guardians name <laughs> change. Uh, we're also going to talk about kind of a, a you know, tangentially related uh, some weird end of career jerseys. Uh, so that's pretty much players that maybe played for a team at, I don't know, for the last half of a season or maybe retired with them that you really don't think of typically in that uniform. Yeah. Uh, going to bring up some weird memories being the the goal. We're going to talk about Cooperstown and Brandon's recent trip there. Weird, uncomfortable, yep. Yeah, and then we're going to finish off with a roundtable discussion, if we have time, about our favorite speed and power guys. We'll get there when we get there. All right, so the Cleveland Guardians. What it, what was your first impression upon hearing that name? Oof. So so really quick, as everyone probably knows listening to this, the historic franchise have officially changed the names to the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, now, for somebody outside of Cleveland who doesn't necessarily know the history of the Guardians or why that's actually kind of a cool name, it struck me as, sure, a name. It, it's fine. And honestly, if you actually look at other baseball names, they don't necessarily have the best, you know, Team names or logos, we just like it because the names are attached. We grew up with it. We know these. We have historic names, but like there are a couple teams out there named after socks. What is a Dodger? You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of weird stuff out there, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, and and at least the Dodgers have a fun backstory when they were back yeah. in New York, for example. Uh, but even the Dodgers weren't always the Dodgers either, so they changed the names. So teams change names all the time. Uh, they change colors, jerseys, logos. This is not unusual in the grand scheme of baseball at all. Um, so when I first heard Guardians, I thought, yeah, that's fine. And then I actually <laughs> read into what the Guardians are and how they relate to Cleveland. And as I learned more about it, of course, that tends to happen. You kind of realize, oh, this is this is kind of cool. Uh, so the, the Guardians, these are huge 43-foot statues that outline uh, the Cleveland Stadium. And they kind of belong to, well, first of all, the city, but they go over highways, streets, and they kind of look over the stadium. And they've been there for decades. Uh, so just by calling the team Guardians, you get that connection to the area around you. And these statues, you can you can go Google it. They look pretty cool. I get it. Yeah. I'm on board with these. Yeah. And when I initially first heard the term like or, or the new name, the Cleveland Guardians, I was incredibly whelmed. Uh, I wasn't whelmed. really blown yep. away at all. You know, it, it was one of those situations where I, I heard it. and I was like, that's 
sounds very generic was my my initial reaction and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily well, a bad name i just thought that it's well yeah it sounds generic and it's kind of funny in a sport where you really don't guard anything um <laughs> right but at, at the same time think about like the oakland athletics like really you right. guys want to name your team athletics because you're athletic yeah. playing the game no we just know it because of tradition so at least guardians you know it yeah. has that roots in cleveland so it kind of makes sense and i don't think like you know, obviously they're going to grow into the name and it'll make more sense over time. And, and that connection to the giant 43 foot tall statues, like that's, that's really cool. But I will say that just the initial set of the designs that they showed us for the typeface and the fonts and the colors, largely all staying the same was, I didn't really care for, because I think that when you're, when you're breaking away from, you know, a name that was problematic for many, many reasons, Mm -hmm. And you initially you immediately go back and, and and don't really change up your colors or your your feel at all. It kind of looks like they're trying to gloss over, you know, why they were changing the name, you know, because that's that's an important conversation. It's because, you know, they've had this really racist and, and you know, harmful name for a while now. And mm-hmm. you kind of brand it as something, you know, just, oh, you know, we're changing the name just kind of because we for whatever reason. It, it, it feels like they're not recognizing exactly, you know, that they messed up, I guess, you know, in that situation. I don't know. I didn't really word that very concisely. Um, I, no, I, I understand. I, I think obviously changing the name is a very good thing. I'm very glad they yeah, did that. Uh, but I, th- I think I think still keeping the vague typeface um, and definitely the colors are certainly the same. Mm-hmm. I, I think that might be OK in my mind. Um, I may be horribly wrong and I'm glad to be wrong if that's the case. And it also makes but, a little bit of sense because there's also the aspect of, you know, fans, I guess, don't have to buy new merchandise, although I would think that true. they would want to sell a ton of new merchandise. Right. So, I, uh-huh. you know, but, uh, you know, I, I get it's it's supposed, you know, it's a little bit easier of a transition, uh, keeping those same colors that have become, you know, iconic and synonymous with the team and with the city. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand that side of it. But for me, I wish they would have done more. Yeah. And I, I think another aspect that doesn't matter at all i just like to think of it in like 20 years or maybe five years i don't know how people think anymore if they look back to the film major league and they see the cleveland indians they're gonna think it's a fictional team just like we look at the new york highlanders in um (laughs) oh the natural and think oh that's not a real team that's that doesn't exist today i don't so it's gonna be a, a fun moment yeah, I mean, Major League is, of course, a phenomenal film, but I don't I don't think people really I, th- I feel like that movie will very much stay associated with the team. Um, I don't think people will f- think that it's like fictional. necessarily, right. well, And that's why I gave it a 20 year time okay. frame, for example, okay. after we'll Guardians has the time years. to settle in there. We'll see. Yeah. I'll, I'll meet you back here. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but so, no, I, I do. After, yeah. After learning about history, I like the name Guardians. It fits. I wish, I sincerely wish it was a Cleveland Spiders, but that's just me. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that, that was, was a a great idea there, you know, a a couple more that were thrown around, but I feel like you could do worse than the guardians (laughs) and who knows, maybe they'll, it'll, it'll end up working out. Um, so just with that kind of, I mean, name changing in mind, like, was there any other name change, uh, that you've kind of had a front row seat to that really stuck out for you. Like I, I do remember when the rays dropped the devil ray a couple of years ago, uh, mm-hmm. to focus more on like the solar ray, which I thought was kind of goofy because devil rays is just such a, an awesome name rolls right off the tongue. Uh, but I feel it like is. that was pretty, it pretty nice. low key. Yeah. 
So as far as baseball is concerned, um, you know, the only team that came close to, I guess there were two teams in the last decade or two that came close to completely overhauling the name is the Angels because they switched around from Los Angeles to Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim to Anaheim and you right. know whoever they are now. Um, and of course, the Diamondbacks completely rebranded their teams back in 2008, I want right. to say, from you know the purple and teal to the Sedona red we have now. Uh, so those had opportunities to change um, logos completely, but they didn't quite go through it. Uh, but I don't think in the last two decades or so, we've had a team completely overhaul itself, at least in Major League Baseball. Right. In the NBA, right. you had the Pelicans, for example, and the Hornets. Uh, but and I the think Thunder. that was about it. Yeah, and I mean... The Thunder. Yeah. Well, well, they were an expansion team. So yeah, they moved. Well, not they were yeah. expansion. They moved. I'm sorry, Seattle. Yeah. I do I do. I'm remember. also still hurting. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. RIP the, the, the Suns, Arizona sports. Yep. Just, it's rough sometimes. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think the Angels would really benefit from a rebrand going back to the California Angels because that was one of the best names oh, in yeah. sports, I think. And when they had those red and blue, uh, you know, I remember they have the uh, the pinstripe jerseys and the hats. I love those those California Angel uniforms. And I think that would be really I, cool to bring back. I think I think we should try for the California Trout Ohani, Otanis. The Trout Otanis. That works too, yeah. Uh, and I think let's also make it, just... Let's make it happen. Just California fits the Angels' aesthetic. I mean, I sound pretentious, but it fits their their vibe essentially a lot more because when you go to you know Angel Stadium, it feels very much like you know sunny California, you know beautiful kind of experience. Uh, it's you know a lot of good energy. It's really nice, and it does feel distinctly mm-hmm. different from I you know Chavez Ravine Dodger Stadium feels very much like the Los Angeles atmosphere, and they're you know. Mm-hmm. Similar, but they're they're distinct from one another. So I really think that the Angels could benefit right. by by right. you know claiming California for their. Uh... Anyway, that's just me rambling again. <laughs> <laughs> the entire state, yeah. yeah. So no, you're fine. So e- each of these te- each of these teams, where it's the team names, locations, the nicknames, the logos, all kind of have a distinct feel to them because they've been that way for decades. And in some cases, uh, players have been on teams for a decade or two decades or you know entire career. And at the very last second, switch clubs. And it feels kind of odd to see them in this new location. Uh, so, for example, a, a player that you identify with a single team, or maybe two teams by now, um, Albert Perholz, has suddenly changed teams at the tail end of his career. You know, like uh, like Cleveland changed the name suddenly. We're not used to it. But it turns out Pujols is doing pretty good right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, Albert Pujols is back right now, or at least looking oh. like he did. Uh, I may, not all the way back, maybe. Um, <laughs> but he is, you know, he, he he's he's a bit older. Uh, but he is, you know, back in the sense that he's back being a fairly productive player with the Dodgers. He's hitting, you know, two sixty four, got eight home runs, twenty three runs batted in, and that's only in about forty six games. And he's definitely being platooned. Uh, he's basically like right handed Jock Peterson in the sense that he just absolutely murders left-handed pitching and then you know he's doesn't fare so well against the opposite side uh no no, <laughs> no. but but uh, but, but it makes really me happy weird. when these yeah it makes me happy when these players that have been around for a while and maybe they change teams or in the twilight of the career and thinking Pujols or Miguel Cabrera for example and suddenly in like the last possible moments they have a small resurgence and it, it shows people that may not have been around for the 2004 2006 season like show a glimpse, a small glimpse of what they were able to contribute. 
and that he wasn't always terrible. So it makes me happy yeah. that Pujols is contributing. Um, so throughout, throughout history over the last 10, 20 X amount of years, uh, what are some other players that you can think of that have changed jerseys at the tail end of the career where it doesn't quite feel right? Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's that's what was really weird for me was going to Dodger Stadium and seeing a lot of these, you know, Pujols oh, jerseys, you know, especially because he's got a different number. He's 55 rather than the five that he's worn mm-hmm. the rest of his and, career. And especially you as a Dodgers fan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one. It was really surreal to just think that Dodger that uh, Albert Pujols is a Dodger. But beyond that, uh, <laughs> I really I remember Vladimir Guerrero ended his career with the Orioles, and that was really trippy to watch him play in the the AL oh, East for a couple, you know a couple seasons. I think it, I, maybe just one. I, maybe two. I remember it being weird when Guerrero went to the Angels. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then I just remember in the last couple of years, there was a period where Andrew McCutcheon was on the Yankees and I feel like, and the giants after that. And I feel like that's just something oh. we've all kind of forgotten about because, and he had to know, cut his hair. Yeah. 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 What about, what about you? Yeah. That one kind of hurt. Uh, so for right now, I, I hope I sincerely hope he's not in the twilight of his career, but, uh, Madison Bumgarner is a giant. Um, he is a legendary performer in the postseason, and suddenly he's on the Diamondbacks, and they pitch a no hitter, which is neat. Um, but right. it's weird. Um, I think of someone like Max Scherzer when he gets traded, it, he he won't feel right seeing him in another jersey other than the Nationals or maybe the Tigers. I know he was another Diamondback to start his career, but it's going to be weird seeing him in a different color than Nationals. Remember when Manny Ramirez was on the Rays? <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact, and he jumped around for a good long time. I think yeah. he was he he was on the White Sox too at one point. I think before that, uh, oh, after, after he left the Dodgers um, and had gotten busted again for steroids. Gosh, yeah, another odd White Sox player was Ken Griffey Jr. Right, remember that right. stint? Yeah, yeah. Was it was that when he fell asleep in the dugout or in the in the clubhouse? I think so. I think so. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we can go through, you know, Greg Maddox as a Padre felt kind of weird. Uh, Randy Johnson twice. as a Giants. <laughs> Dodger twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Johnson as Giant always felt odd to me. You got this 300 win in, in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, but we can go back in time. You think of, uh, for example, uh, Yogi Berra as a Yankee, but right. he retired as a Mets. <laughs> right. Or Willie Mays yeah. uh, played for the played for oh, the Mets' final season. The Mets as well, yeah. He was a part yeah. of that championship team, but he noticeably lost a few steps. So it's not very fondly remembered at this time in the Mets. And um, and there's always the story of how Jackie Robinson ended up uh, going to the Giants, but just opted to retire instead of play for them. <laughs> that's you know what? That's a, I respect that decision. <laughs> right. Yeah, so there's yeah. there's there's so, yeah, a few a few mm-hmm. of these these jerseys that I think would be you know very entertaining to actually own and like wear out to a ballpark one day just just for the conversation. <laughs> oh, All goodness. right, so Brandon, I yeah. see you have you've got another trivia question loaded. I'm a little nervous. I feel yeah. like at this point, so, I, I've, yeah. Okay, so what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, trivia for this week, I don't know the answer, so I'm going to participate as well. Um, who won a Gold Glove Award despite only handling 17 chances all season? So out of the 162 games or however many games he played in that season, uh, we go back a couple decades, he only got 17 chances, but he still won a Gold Glove. Who do you think it was? You know, 
What's what's crazy is I I I'm thinking of this player right now because I feel like I've I've heard like okay. like I've heard this story a, a couple times and it's it's one of the reasons that people cite Gold Gloves as like not being the end all be all of somebody's you know fielding talent. I ninety percent sure he was an Oriole. I just can't think of his name right now. He was one of the big steroid guys though. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, he's the one that point. Yeah, oh, really, I, I know exactly really, talking about Rafael Palmero. Yes. Yes. Is that who you're thinking yes. of? Palmero? That's right. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. All right. So I'm that's, not sure if that's that, right. That was I, my that's, gut that's reaction right. yeah. as well. It was Rafael Palmero. Um, he, he had a great offensive right. season, if I recall, but he played first base, you know, obviously like three games. So let's see. Yeah. The answer is we were wrong. We were wrong. We were wrong? Oh, oh, we were so wrong. This goes back to 1960 with the Yankees with a great with a great pitcher, Bobby Shantz. Wow, of course it's just some random. So Bobby Chance was yeah, he he was <laughs> a solid pitcher back in the day. Um That's hilarious. I, I can't remember stats off the top of my head, but Chance was solid. He was a good pitcher. But yeah, only 17 chances and he won a gold glove. So apologies uh, to Rafael Palmero, although, you know, uh, but Bobby Chance, 17 chances, won the gold glove. Good for him. Wow. That's uh that would have been, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, and, that's my last guess. <laughs> and you know what? I bet you one of those balls that he handled uh-huh, um, ended up in Cooperstown. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How'd you get that in there? Look okay. at that terrible segue. Cooperstown. Brandon, tell us about your Cooperstown trip. Oh, this was exciting. So I, I ended up in New York last week, and I travel a lot for work. So I, I go. I don't really know where I'm at. I just kind of show up. But as I'm there, you know, the person I'm working with goes, you know, we're less than an hour away from Cooperstown. Excuse me. Excuse me. So <laughs> I, I, I do like literally 18 hours of work in one day just so I can have a day free and go to Cooperstown. And that's exactly what we do. We drive up about an hour along the winding roads and tall hills and sh- green trees all around you. And we come to this town built by red brick buildings. Everything's quaint. There are restaurants and bookstores <laughs> and bakeries all over the place. And it is everything I ever wanted. Wow. I feel so, like I'm listening to a Steinbeck audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> I just got so excited because I've been wanting to go there my entire life. And this was the first course, time. Right. And I, I only got about two hours. So I had to breeze through everything. So yeah, Cooperstown itself, it's a very small town, brick towns, you know, brick buildings everywhere, a little bit of bakeries and restaurants and bookstores, which I got a really neat astronomy book from. Um, but the Hall of Fame itself is tucked between two buildings. So if you're just walking by and you don't really notice right. it, you can walk right by it. You can walk right by it, which is kind of weird. Um, so yeah, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame, you, you walk in there, you get yourself your ticket. And the first thing you see is a couple of statues of uh, Roberto Clemente, Lou Gehrig, and oh my goodness, who's the other person? That I'm fa- Jackie Robinson, of course. Right. So you have those three statues basically welcoming you into the hall. And at that point, there's a few different ways you can tackle it. Uh, what we did is instead of going up to the top floor and working your way down, we went to the second floor, and this is where you have the history of baseball laid out in the front of you. So you walk in, and you get like a a tour of 1870s, 1880s, 1890s baseball, uh, which is what I am all about. You So b- back in those days, uh, baseball was really you know, what, northeast 
uh, type of sport. You had some in Cincinnati and Ohio. Uh, but every time a team, for example, would win a tournament, they would always get these gold or silver baseballs. And they had as a trophy and they had these trophies all over the place. And it was the coolest thing seeing these 150 year old trophies just sitting there for baseball. Right. <laughs> and uh, in, in the background, they had music playing. Uh, so if you go back, I have an article. It's called Baseball's Greatest Hits. And I kind of walk through the history of baseball songs. But so many of the songs in the article, like the Home Run Polka or Slide Kelly Slide, it was playing out in the background. And it was just so cool seeing that. Um, wh- one of the cool things I remember is that there was a bat by King Kelly um, who hit a whopping 16 home runs in 1876 <laughs> season, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and But this was a lumberjack bat. It was inc- how thick this bat was, the type of style and bat they used at, at that you know, century. Weird. No weirdest thing ever. So that was really cool to see. How was uh, uh, kind of this? How did you like the plaque gallery? Oh, down at the first floor. Yeah. So that is the oh, the holy sanctum of baseball. Uh, you walk in there, they have these black pillars rising to the top and these archways all around. And in between each archway, there is where you see the plaques. That's where you have the Jackie Robinsons, the Babe Ruths, the Ty Cobbs, uh, the Cy Youngs. And I, you know, loved it, obviously, just for the history. Um, honestly, I think the plaque engravings of the faces look a little bit off. They look a little bit funky. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but just for what they are, you know, they are made, you know, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, So you really appreciate that history and you do get what it means to be inducted in the Hall of Fame and why people take it as seriously as they do. Um, Right. So it was really, as a huge baseball fan and a a fan of history as well, it was, you know, it it was a pilgrimage I made and it was fantastic from start to finish. And there are many other cool things from talk to bottom we can talk about as well. Yeah. But I know that you went there as well uh, a few years ago. So what, what did you yeah. think of it when you went? I mean, yeah, I, I went there a couple of years ago now. Uh, it was it was really, really cool. I mean, obviously, you, you talked about it before, but like just like seeing all of the plaques up on the walls, all of the, you know, reading about all of the different legendary players. It's really it's really just a an awe-inspiring experience. And what's really trippy about it is looking at players like, you know, Lou Gehrig, Bay Ruth, Jackie Robinson, and then seeing players that you watched play, you know, that have, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're, you know, also enshrined there and just seeing the old plaques and the new plaques just all in one place. It's, it really gives this feeling of just like a continuity, which is really cool. Um, and, mm, and just that you're witnessing a, a new chapter of baseball, you know, unfold in front of your eyes. Yeah. Think, uh, uh, yeah. No, I, I was just, I was just going to say, you know, I think that. And and a lot of people make a big deal out of the the whole like oh you know Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame you know Pete Rose isn't isn't in the Hall of Fame but I mean they're just not in that that main plaque gallery and and so you really right. do the one thing that's cool about the Hall is you do get to read about you know players that are you know quote unquote out of the Hall of Fame and, and you know you read about Shoeless Joe and you can read about Barry Bonds and the whole steroid scandal and it's mm-hmm. it's it's you know that's that's pretty cool seeing seeing really. M- a lot of different corners and aspects of baseball. Yeah, you're right. They did have that Barry Bonds ball that hit the famous home run, and it has an asterisk branded into it. Yeah. And as opposed to putting the asterisk on the backside, 
No, Cooperstown puts it front and center and explains why it has an asterisk. Uh, so yeah, just because the player isn't in the plaque Hall of Fame, they are certainly still in the Hall of Fame museum itself. And what we see is only a fraction of what they have, because like the National Archives in D.C., uh, they have just a huge amount of you know, history tucked away right. in the archives and be ready to pull out whenever they can. Uh, so I, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, just off the top of my head, there are a couple of really cool things that I saw, like um, Cy Young's 500th career win. They had that ball sitting there, Uh-oh. which is really cool to see. Uh, they had a cool Papa Bill's jersey, which made me very happy. Uh, one of the fastest men in baseball ever. Uh, Sandy Kopak to Cy Young, Michael yeah. Jordan's bats. Um, they had uh, Otani's bat he used to hit the home run, his first at ab- first bat oh, this year. Cool. They had that in the Hall of Fame. Um, they had another object from this season in the Hall of Fame as well. Um, oh, Dr. Fauci's uh, mask, they put that in the Hall of Fame as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that when, he, when he threw out the first pitch, yeah. There's just just hundreds of years of just mm-hmm. weird history in there that's so cool because they really do get every like and and then really seeing you know I remember seeing Sandy Koufax's you know Cy Young and seeing his Hall of Fame plaque. I was just like, this is really cool. Like this is as close as I've ever gotten. Yeah. You know, like like that's mm-hmm. it's so it's it's so great and it's just a gorgeous building too. Um, Cooperstown is just a, a really beautiful. A little little town. Yeah. Um, I mean, you saw how excited I got about it. I could have gone off for 20 minutes if you didn't interrupt me. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, but right. no, I cannot recommend enough. You, know, you have a Negro Leagues wing, wing a uh, women in baseball wing, just uh, announcers, movie yeah. stuff. So just remember, go see it. Phenomenal. I remember it. watching the the full like Ebbett and Costello baseball they ha- uh, yep. skit there like on a projector. On I, I think I was... I was there when I was a kid. I think I watched it all the way through like two or three times. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, they have a special wing for baseball and media as well. So uh, like uh, Wonder Boy from The Natural, that bat's in there. Uh, Sandlot stuff, you know, Mr. 3000. Remember that Bernie Mac movie? Right. Uh, all, all the good baseball movies, they have some piece of memorabilia in there and it's really cool. So phenomenal. If you ever have a chance, check it out. Get some good food. Enjoy yourself. Right. Love it. All right. So shifting into a, a bit of a different gear here, you know how we love to just bring up random baseball players that we've seen in the last few years or whatever, and just talk about some of our favorites. So we're going to do that right now. Uh, talking about some of our favorite uh, combinations of speed and power to exist in major league baseball. And, you know, the thing that gave me this idea for this conversation was that, you know, right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. has been just otherworldly uh you know he's on he's got the potential to go 40 50 that's 40 home runs 50 stolen bases something that's never been done before uh and you know he if you had to pick somebody he'd probably be the most likely guy to go 50 50 as well uh you know him or ronald Acuna jr and it's really exciting that we live in this period where there are so many of these these players that can really do it on both sides of the uh the athletic spectrum, I guess, if you, you want to call it that. Of course, there's Cody Bellinger, who's, who runs pretty yeah, well, sure. too. Shohei Otani can literally do everything. Um, but Fernando Tatis right now, as a shortstop, too, is is one of the most exciting players in baseball for, for his ability to both hit the snot out of the ball and swipe bags. So, in that vein, Brandon, who are some of your favorite speed, uh, power really, they're, they're dual threats. Somebody who can get it done on, on the bases and at the plate. 
So there is an answer to this question, even though this is an opinion. <laughs> there is an answer, which we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll say at the end. Uh, but the first name that jumps out to me is a uh, Kenny Lofton from the late nineties with the Cleveland now guardians. Uh, you know, he could slap the ball wherever he wanted and he could run like the winds. Uh, so th- when, when he first asked that question to me, you know, 20 minutes ago, I thought immediately of Kenny Lofton. He fits the bill to a T. Also somebody who deserves to be in, in Cooperstown. So we, Oh, absolutely. We, Bring we, him in. we, he covers all our bases today. <laughs> Uh, so what about you? Who, who's somebody that jumps out to you? For me, it, it might not be the immediate idea that, that jumps off the paper, you know, the, this player, but it's actually Alfonso Soriano, uh, somebody who oh. was so dynamic. He he went 40-40 in 2006 with the Nationals with 41 stolen bases and 46 home runs. And he could just, that that guy could just flat out ball. Like he, he had 400 home runs in his career. You know, like he and he stole, he stole yeah, a ton of bases. Yeah. You know, he had at least, you know, he had 39 and 38 in 2002 and 2003. You know, he, he's or wait, that was home run. Damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah. OK, let me. No, no, but you, you're, you're right, though. Alfonso Soriano. Yeah, he, he was somebody that fans can kind of sleep on, especially now in retrospect, uh, almost forgetting at times his actual greatness. He was a great player at times. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I. I I'm, I'm thinking back. I don't think he had the best eye of the league, for example. I don't think he took many <laughs> walks, a high K kind of guy. Uh, but yeah, I remember him being a real threat uh, in this heyday. Yeah. yeah, career career walk percentage is uh, just under 6%. So, okay. but uh, you know, yeah. he, he did, he had almost seven war in 2007 when he was 31 years old. Like he was just, that's fantastic. He, he was a great, very entertaining player to watch. Uh, I think today, yeah, he was a, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, of course, yeah. I've, I've talked about him in <laughs> in uh, you know previous episodes. But Eric Davis, one of my favorite players of all time, uh, with the Reds, who really was you know one of those players who you know, seemed like he had it all. He had all five tools. He was an amazing fielder, an amazing hitter, uh, and he was just super super fast too. Obviously, he couldn't really stay healthy. He's kind of like uh, you know Byron Buxton of of today's game. That's actually not a, a bad mm-hmm. comparison. What could have been? Yeah. Yeah, and then reminds okay. me of a what could have been with a Grady Sizemore as well. Oh, as, Grady has him as Leof Hither, power and speed. He would have been the guy. Yeah, and I feel like that's the, kind the, of the the natural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's kind of what brings these power and speed guys down. Is I feel like at a certain point they just end up, you know, they get older, they can't run as well, they end up just power guys. Like look at Hanley uh, Ramirez uh, in his career arc. He started off as the the you know fast, speedy infielder for the Marlins. By yeah. the time he, he got to the Dodgers and then later the Red Sox, he was pretty much just a slugger, right? Or somebody who followed the same career path and Carl Crawford, for example, as well. Speedy, home run guy. Then he went to you know Boston and LA and things fell apart for him. Yeah, yeah. Good old Carl Crawford. So, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> but no, I remember him on the race. He was such a dynamic, yeah, fun player no, to watch. He was a great player. So, mm-hmm. Um, I, I always, right. of course, think of of Matt Kemp, who almost went forty forty. He was one one mm. home run away, uh, and then ended up on the Padres, and then you know was, was just right. kind of that. Yeah. Are you ready for the answer? The correct answer to this opinion question? Okay, what's the correct answer? <laughs> All right, let me give you a hint. At age thirty nine, he stole sixty six bases. Well, I. <laughs> 
You said you are you thinking of Juan Pierre or some someone? He's not a power hitter though. Like so, I like it's not I, Juan I, Pierre. Yeah, I mean, um, at 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 his peak, he hit twenty eight home runs and um, earlier stole one hundred thirty bases. Well, like Ricky Henderson. <laughs> Ricky Henderson. <laughs> yeah, I I, I feel yeah. like when you're talking steals, it's always got to boil down to Ricky, and I just. I love Ricky Henderson so much. He, we should, yeah. we should do a Ricky episode just, just by itself because oh, I Ricky, feel like love Ricky talking Henderson, about Ricky. Nobody really gives him, or at least today in the analytics, you know, conversations. He doesn't. I feel like he never really gets his due that he deserves because if you have somebody who can literally steal second, third base every time he's on base, and you know, just that kind of threat he was with mm-hmm. the, the power and and hitting tool that he had. Oh my goodness! Like he's. Like I think he deserves to start if you have like a a top nine you know fielders of, yeah. all, of all time. Like he's definitely in that like, conversation. I, I had mentioned Cool Papa Bell early in this podcast, and um, at his peak, he is said to have stolen 169 bases in a single season, which is incredible. Uh, but of course, they did lots of barnstorming records were kept. Uh, but Ricky Henderson, 1982, with full cameras and everything, stole 130 bases. My goodness, that's like nearly at on this base. legendary mark. You have to get yeah. on base 130 times to do that. <laughs> like, well, not, I mean, yeah, 130 times crazy. easy. And, and the fact that everyone... That, yeah, so uh, you mentioned 130 times. He <laughs> walked 116 times alone that season. 116 walks, and he stole probably every single time he was on base. Uh, so phenomenal in every way imaginable. Yeah, and when you look up, like, like you know, here, I'll give you a, a, a little impro- impromptu trivia. You know, who is the, who else are in the top five for stolen bases of all time? Just so we can highlight how good Ricky is, because he's obviously number one. Uh, we got, we got, so there's a Lou Brock. Um, Lou Brock, he's is, number is two. He in has there? 938. Yeah. yeah. So Lou Brock is oh, in second goodness. with 938. Cobb is in fourth place with 892. Now, guess how many Ricky is stolen? Oh, I see it right in front of me. But it's he—he he can raise that base above his head proudly and say, "I am the greatest for the reason." Because how yeah. many stolen bases does he have? So Ricky Henderson stole fourteen hundred and six stolen bases in his career. The guy in second place, yeah. Lou Brock, stole nine hundred and thirty-eight. Like that is just an absurd gulf between them. That- That's like total bases between Hank Aaron and number two. It's that huge of a chasm. Yeah, and it's it's really incredible because he he definitely could be in that conversation. He's definitely the greatest base stealer of all time. Like, but he could be yeah, in that conversation just because of his unique, you know, his unique, I guess, game. You know, as a baseball yeah, player, still really set, sure. Apart. Yeah. Yeah. So Ricky Henderson is my choice for the best leadoff hitter, especially at his peak. You can't beat, you know, early '80s Henderson in Oakland. Yeah, and I feel like Ricky Henderson was also just so so fun to watch and so cool. Like the way he played the game, you know, the just the the showmanship that he had. And I think, you know, he had that that huge confidence. He talked in third person. He was like, he, you know, he he kind of felt like baseball's Allen Iverson, you know, before before he <laughs> right like yeah, like he put it. just right the way he played, he was just so so carried dynamic. the team, yeah. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this one quick question, just for like a, a, a give me a one quick answer, so we don't take up too much time. Who is the coolest player you have seen play? And uh, this doesn't like off the top of your head. Okay. Off of the top of my head, uh, 
I'm gonna go with Mookie Betts. I hate I hate that <laughs> we're we're back is. at Mookie Betts, but it's okay. Okay, no, obviously I'm gonna go Shohei Otani. But if we're talking about just like oh. like like Mookie this Betts, this is cool. Yeah, I mean Mookie Betts just he's so he's so smooth out there. You know, he makes all of these incredible athletic plays without breaking a sweat. He's robbing home runs. He's diving in the outfield. He's hitting. You know, he's he's hitting bombs and he's. You know, just such a great base runner. He sets the the base paths on fire with with his heads up play. Uh, he takes advantage of opportunities, and he's just got a winning smile. It, it, he's just so fun to watch. He's such a cool baseball player. Obviously, you've got to have Tatis in this conversation because he's just incredible he's as well. He's he's, he's fun. so fun, and it's it's really yeah. If, if I had to pick somebody that I'd seen myself, that's definitely those guys. Ronald Acuna Jr. also in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, just just from a a different kind of perspective, like Cody Bellinger also is just I feel he's like very cool with how almost nonchalant he he appears to play the game. You know, he just kind of shuffles up to the plate. You know, he's he's just kind of just everything about, you know, how he plays. Obviously, he swagger. He's super. Yeah, he's Cody, you know, has very electric moments, but he's just, you know, it's it's a little different. But I put him in that category, too, just as far as current players go. Yeah, I, I wish I could have seen Willie Mays play or, you know, Reggie Jackson. Uh, but for me, people that I have seen, it's got to be Griffey, how smooth he was playing oh, that course. game. It was phenomenal. Um, so that's the cheat answer is Griffey, of course. The cool player, Griffey. Griffey. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so Lofton. one of the things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you can't go wrong. Fantastic, great people to watch. Right. All right. Well. We about ready to wrap it up? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. So uh, we are running close on time. So we are going to wrap things up here. So if you liked what you heard today, uh, please please be sure to follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short Hops PL. Follow Brandon at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A. Scott 6. And then subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so for Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott. And this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time.